Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kramer from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre here at the University of Sydney. And here with me today is Trisha Yo, who will be talking to us about uh, the country of Malaysia. Trisha is here as part of our Politics in Action event. Hi, Trisha. Thanks for being here with us today. Hi, Liz. Thanks for inviting me. Now, before we begin, could you just give us a little bit of background about yourself and your interest in Malaysian politics? Uh, sure, thanks. So right now, I'm actually a PhD candidate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia in politics, and I'm looking at federal-state relations in Malaysia, particularly the opposition states uh, back then of Selangor and Penang uh, from 2008 to 2018, but more generally, I'm interested in political developments, um, the role of the opposition, uh, federalism, and some parts of public administration as well. Perfect. So you're the perfect person to have here to talk about Malaysian politics today. I hope so. Um, so let me just jump in with the first question I have for you. Um, so almost one year ago, there was an election. It was um, uh, it garnered a lot of international attention and it brought Pakatan Harapan and a 92-year-old Mohammed Mahathir back into power, um, so the former um, leader of Malaysia. So reflecting back on last year, why do you think um, this overwhelming change in Malaysian politics happened? Um, I think we can actually drill it down to three reasons. Um, the first two of which the coalition actively campaigned on and they repeated this message over and over again um, and one of them was of course the big 1MDB corruption case that then Prime Minister Najib Razak was um, involved in and uh, the second big thing was the economy so one of the biggest pledges that they made um, which they also rushed to institute after they took over was to abolish the GST the goods and services tax um, which many people felt or perhaps used as a reason to account for the increased cost of living and um, the fact that the economy was not in really good shape. Uh, so those were the two main reasons, I think, that were present in people's minds. Um, and of course, you mentioned the big third factor, which is the fact that Dr. Mahathir Muhammad returned to politics in this you know, historical, you know, bewildering moment. Um, and bringing with him many of the old stalwarts of power, um, some of his cronies uh, back in the day, uh, came back with him. And I think these three factors combined uh, made for a really powerful force that uh, the BN could no longer contend with. So with that big change, there's obviously been a change in government. Um, so what has this meant for Malaysian politics and the priorities of the government that we see today? So the government started off with this very enthusiastic month of setting up lots of different committees and um, you know they had a committee uh, uh, of, of, of eminent people, of eminent persons, um, they had an institutional reform committee, um, you know Mahathir's government went immediately to swoop down on Najib Razak's homes and and confiscated a lot of bags. So within the first month or so, I think we saw a lot of action um, being taken and I think people were generally quite happy with that. Uh, so the priorities at the beginning, one would say, um, was to have some form of institutional reforms conducted 
and uh, they did attempt at addressing the cost of living by abolishing the GST. Um, but of course, since the initial euphoria and the initial first month or so of doing these things, um, I think over the last year, we've seen some of these priorities uh, shift over time. And, um, you know, I can account for, for these shifts uh, for for many reasons. I mean, they, they are, number one, um, a coalition that is relatively new. They had not worked together before, unlike the previous uh, iteration of Pakatan without Mahathir's party. Uh, they had at least, you know, 10 years of working together at the state government level and they, they coalesced well. So now you had a new party coming in. So this new working relationship also meant that um, there were new uh, contestations uh, of each party's wanting to, some parties wanting to push for institutional reform faster, some of them wanting to, to pull them back. Um, and this ties in with the next big factor, which is essentially identity politics mm. that, uh, you know, continues to rear its ugly head uh, in Malaysia, despite the fact that Pakatan Harapan came in um, wanting to at least you know, reimagine this new Malaysia. And after all, it branded new, this new administration as a new Malaysia. And so... And, and what, what exactly were they... What was the image that they were trying to sell in terms of this new Malaysia to the voters? I think they succeeded initially to uh, be able to brand themselves as a coalition that did not necessarily um, look at race when it created public policy, when it appointed people into key positions. And on that count, uh, credit to Pakatan, they were able to do that. Uh, so, for instance, you know, instituting someone in the Ministry of Finance as a minister who uh, was who not Malay, um, putting the Attorney General in who was not Malay as well. And these two uh, positions that were put into place received some backlash from the Malay community. And uh, since then, unfortunately, there's been a sort of backsliding when it comes to being able to deal with these um, ethnic and religious tensions. So um, the two big incidents that have happened in the last year, which indicate um, the, the backsliding and perhaps the, the more conservative responses that the Pakatan has had to uh, come to, were number one, um, the ICERT. So the government wanted to ratify the International Convention uh, on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. And there was a huge backlash because uh, the perception amongst the Malay community, uh, which unfortunately was very much played up by the likes of AMNO and PAS, um, were that if the government were to ratify this International Convention, uh, the constitutional guarantees for the special position of Malays would be abolished. Mm-hmm. because then all the races would be treated equally and the affirmative action policy that Malaysia has to uh, you know, pr- to preserve certain rights for the Malays would also be abolished. And they responded by going to the streets um, and you actually see not a decline of the politicization of race and religion, but in fact, uh, it, ha- it has been augmented. And I think Paz and Amno have 
very strategically been able to capture this narrative in a much more narrow way than they had in the past. Um, and the second big thing, which is also reflective of the same theme that, I talk, that I'm talking about, um, is the government's uh, intention to ratify also an international uh, agreement. And this time it was the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, the ICC, uh, which ironically enough, you know, was a cabinet decision that was made back in 2011 under the Najib administration, except that, you know, it wasn't publicized so much then. Um, the rulers in Malaysia, so Malaysia still has a monarchy, we are a constitutional monarchy. The rulers were uh, under the impression or were made to understand that by ratifying this Rome statute, uh, the rulers would be stripped of their immunity. Um, and, you know, I think that reflects a weak understanding of the law uh, because even if Malaysia were to exercise uh, its right to have, you know, war crimes of the greater scale, mm. um, the rulers would in fact not be responsible. Um, the Attorney General has very clearly said that uh, any war crimes or genocide of, the, of, of that sort would rest at the responsibility of the cabinet and the executive, uh, the prime minister of whom is, is the head of. And, and that fear that came out of the monarchy, was that based on, on, thi- on, on history or things that had happened in the past? Or, I mean, where did the justification for that fear that they held about possibly being held accountable for war crimes actually come from? I mean, you're right, because Malaysia has been largely a peaceful nation. I mean, even uh, the the biggest bloodshed incident that we had, um, which was in the 1969, 13th of May, um, that had nothing to do with the scale that the Rome Statute would be talking about and referring to. And after all, Rome Statute was taken uh, into place post-World War II, right? So I think this is not really about the Rome Statute and it's not really even about ICERT. Um, it is playing to the, the imagined, but unfortunately now be, they have become real, the, the imagined uh, fears of, um, of the community that... So, and, and we must remember that the rulers are traditionally the, uh, the head of, of Islam and also the custodian of Malay rights. So any attack on the monarchy and any attack on the rulers um, has been construed as also an attack on the community of Malay Muslims more generally. So whether or not that is true is no longer relevant for this particular community because um, it has become a taboo to to reference any international convention that is perceived to be uh, eroding upon the rights of this majority community. Mm. And it's more about the perception rather than yeah, it's the like, reality. Yeah, it is all about the perception. So, you know, when I started out, I said that in the initial few months, you could see that um, the new government was really wanting to institute these changes, um, including adhering to international conventions. I think there are actually more that they want to do on the human rights front, um, which Malaysia has not done you know, in the past 50 years. Uh, it also wanted to do more in terms of ensuring more racial equality. But because of these um, constraints and these roadblocks, you can see that the new government has had to pull back 
it rains a lot when it comes to these reforms. So I can give you some examples of that. So for instance, um, they have had to uh, firstly behave in a little bit more socially conservative manner. Um, some of the previously, um, some of the some of the laws that they had talked about abolishing in the past um, have actually been used against some activists already in the last year. Uh, you know, a second big thing was when the racial quotas in a university matriculation program, um, there was talk of the quotas being abolished so that people of all races could gain access to these university placements, which after all uh, run on public funds. And uh, again, because of the backlash, they had to backtrack on that and uh, maintain the quotas, but increase the number of intake of the students. So, so what it seems to be doing now is trying to placate the community that um, is criticizing the government for being anti-Malay um, and also trying to appease the perhaps more urban elite who are calling for institutional reform and uh, unfortunately trying to do both things is not really succeeding uh, too well. So I would say that there are good intentions um, but there are lots of uphill battles. Mm. And in terms of institutional reform, you did earlier mention the one MDB case, um, and that had a huge role in ousting the previous administration. Uh, have there been any concrete institutional reforms uh, made by the current administration that would prevent such a high-profile corruption um, uh, case from occurring again? Um, there are some things. Uh, so one big positive step is that the government has launched uh, what's called the, the National Anti-Corruption Plan, the NACP, and um, they do have some concrete strategies as to um, how to eliminate corruption uh, within the government, within the bureaucracy. So for instance, they're trying to put together a government procurement act, um, and they've referenced you know, many things that they want to do, but I, in my opinion, uh, some of these reforms are going to take too long. So the, the Government Procurement Act will only come into form in 2023, um, by which time, you know, there could already be a, a transition of power. So whether or not that's going to be a priority of the new administration is another question altogether. I think the main question when you come to 1MDB um, is whether the government is going to reform its government-linked companies, its GLCs, or in international terms, we call them the SOEs, right? The state-owned enterprises. Because after all, 1MDB was a GLC. It was owned by the government. Um, and I think on that count, the Pakatan has not given a clear roadmap as to how the GLCs are going to be reformed. Um, do they see the GLCs as a place where they can continue to depend um, on these institutions to derive some kind of patronage from? We don't know. Uh, we do know from the record over the last year that uh, some of the key um, board memberships have been given to people within the political parties. So yes, um, I think on the issue of GLC reform, it has not done enough. Um, they have indicated that they want to do reforms on political funding, um, but again, it's not clear what's happening there. Uh, the one thing they have done is also just indicate that the Malaysia Anti-Corruption Commission is going to be 
made uh, into a full-service commission that reports directly to Parliament. But many of these things have been said, uh, but rather steps are being taken concretely to, um, to make sure that they come to fruition. I think it's a little bit too slow uh, for some of those who are watching. Mm. So it sounds like there are um, there have been a lot of promises made, but there are a lot of challenges as well, which make it very difficult um, for the current government to fulfill the promises that they've been making. Um, so in terms of future prospects and leading up to the next election, what do you see as being the main political trends in, in Malaysia over the next few years? So there was an opinion poll that was conducted recently and it showed that the approval ratings for Pakatan dropped quite severely from over 70% to 39%. And uh, more than 50%, I think it was 58% of them, cited the cost of living as the most important issue that they face. So I think it's really about um, jobs, whether there are enough job opportunities, whether the, the wages are going to be increasing at a rate that's you know commensurate with the inflation rate. Because at the end of the at the, at the end of the day, um, one of the big reasons they, I mean, I talked about the three reasons that people voted in Pakatan for, and, and if they see that their cost of living is still the same and you know their pockets are still not being filled, um, then they're going to ask the question, what is the difference really? And some are even saying that uh, under the BN, they actually had um, better you know, subsidies because Pakatan, in fact, has uh, removed some of these subsidies for, for the fishermen and for, for some of the, the poorer communities. Uh, so the government has to, of course, in my opinion, make sure that its institutional reforms are on track because essentially without those reforms, then you can't correct the economy either. But at the same time, it's rushing. It doesn't have a very uh, long a time period for it to show successes. So I think some low-hanging fruits are necessary. Perhaps they need to think about um, new options, new targeted subsidies that can have immediate effect. Um, and of course, the next big question would be the transition of the political leadership um, because investors are also wanting to know whether this transition is going to take place, whether Dr. Mahathir will really hand the reins over to Anwar Ibrahim as he said, um, that he would and he said from the beginning that it would be a two-year period but yet no date is mentioned i mean if it's a two-year period then you're talking about may 2020 quite soon <laughs> it's yeah. quite soon it's a year from now and so i think those are the pressures that the current government will be faced with uh, while at the same time trying to deal with its its own fiscal problems and uh, making sure that its debt to gdp ratio is on track and growth still takes place um, given the many challenges Great. Well, that's all we have time for today, Tricia. So thank you very much for joining me again. <laughs> thank you, Liz.